Welcome to the Diplomat Podcast, where we will be talking with and about incredible women mediators, facilitators, negotiators, ambassadors, peacemakers, peace builders, and more. I am Karma Ekmekci, and I will be your host in this journey of mainstreaming the women, peace, and security agenda into our lifestyles. With a focus on the Arab region, the Diplomat Podcast comes to you in collaboration with the Isan Fars Institute for Public Policy and International Affairs at the American University of Beirut and is made possible by the generous support of UN Women. The Arabic subtitled video edition is available on the Diplomat Podcast YouTube channel. We're thinking out loud with His Excellency Nasser Judeh in this second episode of the Diplomat Podcast. As former Deputy Prime Minister of the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan and its longest serving Minister of Foreign Affairs between 2009 and 2017, Minister Judeh has had a front row seat to all the regional and global developments of the past 15 years. In 2017, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, invited Minister Jude to take part as a member of his high-level advisory board on mediation. He is currently a member of the Senate in Jordan. Your Excellency, welcome to the Diplomat Podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a um, real pleasure to be with you, um, Karma, and thank you to um, the Isan Faris Institute, and thank you to um, Diplo Women, uh, and you're the pioneer behind this uh, great uh, initiative. So it's really a pleasure to, to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Your Excellency. I think the last time we saw each other was in New York in uh, September of 2019, on the margins of the 74th UN General Assembly. You were forcefully present at the launch of the Global Alliance of Regional Women Mediator Networks. I remember, like it was yesterday, I remember you started your remarks, you said, ladies and gentlemen, and then you looked around and you said, oh, there are only four gentlemen in the room. You, you seemed disappointed. It was, it was at that moment when I realized that if the power we are seeking to share as women is the one held by men, then uh, we should start having the conversation with men and not only amongst ourselves, which is precisely why uh, we, we are happy to host you as a guest today to validate the importance of having men speak about the women, peace and security agenda. Um, us alone, it's going to be very hard for us to get the numbers up. Your Excellency, you are a great example of a he for she, of someone who through his work has continuously supported and encouraged women to be more engaged in negotiations and peace processes. But how do we really do this? I mean, in practical terms, how much of what we hear in the region about the importance of the role of women in politics, etc., is lip service? How much of it is tokenism? Thank you very much, Karma. Um, let me just um, refer to what you said um, in your introduction. I remember that um, function on the margins of the UN General Assembly in 2019. And I remember what I said at the time. 
prior to that, I took part um, in, a, in a workshop for uh, women mediators um, six or seven months before that. Uh, and I was the only man there. Um, and there's this great picture that I have framed and put up on my, uh, on my wall of uh, me with uh, 60 women. Um, and I said to them, to all the women there at the time, and I said, gender parity and the inclusion of women um, in political processes and mediation and whatever initiative, uh, which is a right, by the way, not uh, charity, uh, should not come at the exclusion of men. I mean, as you said, it should be a two-way uh, conversation and the inclusion of women does not mean the exclusion of men. Um, and, and by the same token, um, having, um, having no women is not, uh, is not right. So at the end of the day, we want gender parity, um, not gender imbalance um, in, uh, in these um, uh, initiatives. So, look, can we say that uh, what we see today in, in governments, in NGOs, in um, paragovernmental organizations and the private sector, uh, is it ideal? Of course not, far from it, way short of what we uh, want to see. Um, but we'll get there. I mean, so long as there's the, the political will and the determination, we'll, we'll get there. Um, we shouldn't just... Um, uh, look at the, at the negative um, side of things or the slow uh, progress, we should look at what serious steps uh, are being taken uh, everywhere. Um, I can't be true to myself um, and, and, and be honest and say that um, some of it is not, um, or most of it is not um, lip service or tokenism. Um, certainly, maybe some of it is. Um, but uh, let's look at the wider picture. And I believe that the wider picture shows the seriousness of intent. Your Excellency, in 2017, uh, Secretary General Guterres established a high-level advisory board on mediation to provide him advice in relation to conflict resolution and prevention efforts. Among the board members composed of current and former national leaders, you were selected. Tell us, what is this board all about? How much does inclusivity take center stage in your discussions? Well, um, let me answer on two different fronts. I mean, first, um, um, Antonio Guterres, the current uh, Secretary General of the United Nations, is committed to gender parity within the UN system. Um, and he's doing a lot, um, con concrete steps to have uh, women in key positions um, in different um, uh, UN, UN organizations and departments. Uh, this high-level panel um, or um, high-level advisory board on mediation um, certainly reflects that. It uh, comprises 18 members. Uh, from around the world, nine women and nine men. Um, so you know he was he was very very uh, careful to um, uh, to do that because it reflects his policy and his belief and his determination to have gender parity not just in within the UN system uh, itself but also the high level panels and advisory boards that um, uh, that's uh, shoot, that are offshoots of uh, his initiative. Um, the idea is. This, this um, advisory board, I mean, you know, you have the obvious conflicts around, um, uh, around the world uh, for which uh, we have special envoys or um, key uh, specific UN departments and organizations that deal with these, um, with these conflicts. You have a special envoy for Yemen, a special envoy for Libya, a special envoy for um, Afghanistan. Um, uh, but there are conflicts that are off the radar screen, there are conflicts that are um, perhaps um, not so visible um, or not in the headline news um, uh, every day. And the, the Secretary General set up this uh, advisory board uh, to help him uh, with dealing with such uh, conflicts. And also, that doesn't preclude 
helping with the obvious conflicts as well, um, using the, the advisory board as a sounding board uh, for some of the work that the special ombuds are doing uh, in, uh, in different uh, hotspots or conflicts around the world. So it, we, we've met four times uh, so far um, and uh, four times when we were able to meet face to face and one virtual meeting this last uh, year. Uh, but he, he was very, very clear in all the meetings, um, first uh, to have each representative um, uh, on the board um, present their, their uh, views on um, some of the uh, key conflicts around the world. Uh, the, the composition of the board is actually quite, uh, quite interesting because, you know, like I said, you've got women, you've got men, um, a lot from uh, Africa, from Latin America, from the Far East, uh, from the Middle East, from Europe. Um, and so um, the idea is just to brainstorm. Um, and sometimes when there is a specific mission, um, the Secretary General would task one of the members of the high level advisory board to actually physically go uh, to a, an, a country or a region uh, that, that is um, either um, um, that, is, that either has a conflict or um, a conflict brewing in the making uh, to uh, pass on a message if they accept, of course, to have UN um, involvement in that. So it's 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 a very interesting uh, board, um, and the topics are extremely interesting. You know, Minister Jude, we are in a region where we have you know, the world's least peaceful, according to the Global Peace Index, the Middle East is the least peaceful region in the world, okay? And we have uh, four major conflicts that we see around us. Uh, and you have said in many of your speeches that women are the most impacted. Uh, they're the most, they're, the, they're those who carry the brunt of these, of these conflicts. And all the research has shown that when women are more involved in negotiations and peace processes, uh, it is then when you have more and more uh, sustainable peace, you have more just peace, you have positive peace in societies. My question to you is, what are Arab governments today really doing to include more women in the high level uh, peace processes, in the high level talks, in the negotiations? Uh, and where do you see you know, more intervention being needed? Well, um, you're absolutely um, uh, right in pointing to the fact that um, whether I said it or many other people have said it, I mean, it's a blinding flash of the obvious that women are the, the most affected by, by any conflict. Um, women lose their um, um, husbands, fathers, brothers, sons uh, in, uh, in, in conflicts uh, when uh, they are internally displaced or um, uh, become refugees. They're the ones who have to take care of their families. Uh, and therefore, it only makes um, sense. It's common sense, actually, um, and quite logical for women to be involved in mediation efforts. And that takes us back to the advisory board on mediation, but also to be involved in negotiations and, and uh, in the production of peaceful outcomes to, um, to conflict. Uh, it only makes sense because they're the most affected. And they would be, if they come from a vantage point, sometimes from a point of disadvantage, unfortunately, uh, where uh, uh, the, the key issues are presented on the table uh, without any sugar coating. Um, so, yes, and you're right, we come from a region that has sadly and unfortunately historically pro provided the world with much instability, and uh, whether it's direct or indirect or uh, spillover um, or ripple effect, uh, name it what you want. Uh, we Right now, um, we're talking about um, uh, Libya, Syria, Yemen, and of course, 
what we refer to as um, the root cause of all um, conflict, which is the, um, the Palestinian issue. Um, and so um, th this is uh, this is very, very, um, uh, it's very sad. Um, we've seen, uh, we have conflicts all over the world, uh, but the concentration of conflicts in, in our region um, it makes it imperative um, um, for all of us to, um, women, men, um, everyone to, um, 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 do our utmost to, to, to bring about a peaceful uh, peaceful outcomes. So, um, look, if, if the Palestinian question remains unresolved, uh, if the Palestinians are unable uh, to have their own independent sovereign state on their national soil, if the occupation does not end, uh, this is a conflict that has gone on now since 1948, um, uh, and even before that, you know, the, the, the turbulence that happened before that. Uh, but we are now talking about an obvious uh, two-state solution that will bring about the outcome that we, that we all want. Unfortunately, no, without undermining um, or lessening the importance or severity of the other conflicts, but we keep reminding that this is the root cause of much of the instability that we see, not just um, uh, in our part of the world, but uh, generally um, around the world um, uh, altogether. So, um, and women have to be involved. Um, they have to be involved in, in, in peacemaking. They have to be involved in mediation. They have to be involved in shaping what their future uh, looks like, not just at the receiving end um, of what, uh, what comes their way. Absolutely, thank you for that. Um, Your Excellency, in 2014, you attended the Global Summit to End Sexual Violence and Conflict in London. This was co-chaired by your dear friend, William Hague and Angelina Jolie. The Global Summit was the largest gathering of its kind, which shed light on this grave issue. Rape, uh, sexual slavery, trafficking, forced early marriages are just a few examples of crimes, of weapons of war used against girls and women. What do we do in the Arab world to put these issues in the forefront of our political discussions? Well, that's why it was called the Global Summit, um, because um, there were 120 countries um, uh, represented in June 2014, over three days uh, or four days. Um, in fact, it was a, a whole month of activities, but the, you know, the, the core of it was the three or four days in, um, in June. 120 countries, um, again. Uh, over a thousand experts. It included everyone from youth organizations to NGOs uh, to specialists, um, and and the idea was to um, to break the the, the, the taboos around um, uh, wartime rape and and to shatter to try and shatter the culture of impunity. Uh, what was the expression that we all used at uh, at the time? People had to realize that uh, there had to be. Um, uh, support, unwavering support uh, for um, uh, engendering a, a global shift in attitude towards um, sexual uh, uh, violence. And the idea behind having, like I said, 120 uh, countries and all sorts of experts and all sorts of victims, by the way, um, and, and witnesses uh, to these um, uh, atrocities is to transform world opinion. And I, and I believe that um, it, it succeeded in a way in, in changing the perspective, changing the understanding of, uh, of all that. And, and while, while we all concluded at the time that um, uh, government action is essential when it comes to changing the, the, the norm and changing the misunderstandings and misconceptions, uh, but um, th there, there was a lot of inspiration during those days in, in London. There was a lot of inspiration that was uh, drawn 
um, from um, uh, survivors and from activists um, and from witnesses uh, to these uh, horrific realities. And I, I, I believe that one of the extremely pertinent outcomes of the, of the summit was to launch an, an international protocol um, on uh, documentation and investigation of uh, sexual violence and conflict um, and to set new international standards. And I think um, that was a great outcome. I, I, I hope uh, that uh, there will be a, you know, a follow-up summit, uh, perhaps, um, I don't know, this was 2014. Um, there's been many activities uh, since then, but to have another summit as, at some stage would be a very, very important step. Absolutely. I remember, uh, I remember that summit very well. And I, I remember how we, uh, many of us thought that this was a breakthrough, uh, you know, gathering, a breakthrough initiative. Uh, do you feel like in the Arab world, you know, seven years down the line, uh, do you see more progress when it comes to these issues? Have taboos been broken? Are we more comfortable talking about these things? You know, many of our countries still, you know, allow for early marriages, early child marriage. Uh, how do you view the situation right now, the state of play of our nations? Karma, we, we live in an integrated uh, world um, uh, these days. Uh, the, you, you, can't, um, um, you can't escape um reality you can't escape uh, the fact that with social media and with internet and with access to information and with these modern tools of communication that we all have and enjoy and have started to take for granted uh, that that a story can remain hidden or suppressed uh, or that it's not going to reach uh, the public not just in your country or region but um, around the world and something that happens in the far corner of the of, of the world is automatically um, seen uh, simultaneously, real time, by everyone who, who wishes to access that information. Sometimes, even if you don't wish to, to access that information, it comes your, it comes your way um, uh, without you um, uh, asking for it. So, uh, I believe this has emboldened uh, um, uh, people, uh, encouraged people to speak out um, against injustice, uh, against uh, personal um, uh, stories, um, some of it extremely tragic. Uh, to um, uh, attract world attention, international attention, uh, to um, a regional problem uh, within a, a specific country. Um, you have, um, there is no way, I mean, I know from, from my own country, from Jordan, I'm sure uh, in, in Lebanon, it's, uh, it's the same and in every country. Uh, you can't, sorry to, to, to use a common expression, but you can't get away with murder anymore. I mean, if you, if you commit a crime, if you commit an injustice, if you go against the norms of civilization, uh, if you have something that is an outrage to morality, as we uh, as we know it, it's going to be known by and large. Um, it's going to be known and it's going to be dealt with and addressed. So uh, I believe this is the world that, um, uh, that that we live in, and perhaps this is all for the better. Um, I, I believe when, when stories break out, uh, when stories they, they become known and visible, um, you, you you have uh, nothing to do except try to make the situation better. So. Agreed. I think it's very hard to to hide some of these stories, and uh, we're we're at a place where, you know, it's like there's a world theater, and everyone is watching. And like you said, this culture of impunity is mm -hmm. on its way out of the door, inshallah, as we inshallah. say, hopefully. Uh, Your Excellency, tell me a little bit about Jordan. I mean, you represented this country for many years uh, on the global stage, and uh, what's the 
what's happening right now in Jordan when it comes to the role of women in, in politics, in, in peace processes and negotiation? Uh, how many female ambassadors are there in Jordan? Can you just share with us some interesting insights and some stories, anecdotes that you've had over the years that shows, uh, you know, your cooperation or the involvement of women in, in some of these key, uh, key matters, key issues? Well, without um, blowing our own trumpet um, when it comes to um, uh, the inclusion of women in, in, in public affairs, um, but factually speaking... We please were, do, please do. <laughs> we, we, we were pioneers in, uh, in that, pioneers in the context of the region, um, but um, we have, um, uh, we have, I mean, women have been in, in leadership positions in both the public and private um, sector and in the military. Um, for uh, decades, uh, this is uh, this is this is not new for us. Uh, our first um, uh, female government uh, minister, cabinet minister, was uh, in Amil uh, Mufti in um, in 1979. Um, um, she was a minister for social uh, uh, development. Um, we had many women in cabinet uh, uh, since in political. Um, um, uh, portfolios as well as um, uh, service and social development and and uh, in, in the economic ministries um, as well. We've had a female deputy prime minister um, before. Our first um, um, lady who was um, referred to as a captain pilot um, of, an, of an aircraft in Royal Jordanian was Tagrid uh, um, Akasha back in 1984. Um, and she, and, and you see, this is the interesting point here. It's not just the fact that uh, that uh, a woman became a pilot, an airline pilot, um, you know, 40 years ago. Uh, it's it's the, the common perception is that a, a male-dominated, oriented society would not accept that. Um, I, I remember flying uh, in a plane that was um, uh, captained by Tagrid uh, Akasha, and when she announced herself as Dear passengers, this is Tahrir Akashi, your captain speaking. I didn't see any raised eyebrows. I didn't see any shock, uh, looks of shock and horror. And on the contrary, everybody was smiling and cheering. So it's also the culture of acceptance of, uh, of, of something uh, like that. Women in the military in, in Jordan, that has been going since the 1950s. Um, we, we had um, um, at first in the, in, the, in the nursing field in, uh, in the army, and we had the, the, the Princess Mona Nursing College. The first graduates were first lieutenants back in 1965. Um, and then we had female um, officers and other um, um, uh, pursuits and disciplines, not just uh, in nursing, in administrative, and in, 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 in key. We, you know, we have women in the air force. Uh, so you know, we've been we've been doing a lot in uh, in, in Jordan. I mean, during the reign of uh, His Late Majesty King Hussein, I mean, this was one of his priorities. And His Majesty King Abdullah uh, is uh, continuing the same uh, tradition and reinforcing that perception that women are. Um, equal members of our system. Um, it's not. Um, it's it's not one or the other. It's both. Um, and so, you know, we're very very proud of that. Um, I, when I was foreign minister, um, the the three. I don't want to uh, make comparisons of which embassies are important, which are embassies. All our embassies are important. But I, at one point, um, our ambassador to Washington uh, D.C. in Washington D.C. Our ambassador in London and our permanent representative uh, to the United Nations in New York were all ladies, uh, the three of them at the same time. Um, so imagine me having to deal with that. <laughs> I um, think it was a privilege to deal with that. It, it, was, it, it, it was a real uh, privilege, but I also had to accept that, um, that uh, many a time I would be um, 
uh, told not to do things in very firm uh, terms. So you, you felt marginalized, Your Excellency. <laughs> it was it was a, a, a pride and honor, truly. Joking aside, it was always um, um, a sense of pride for me to, to to say, you know, this is our ambassador in, 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 to the United States. This is our ambassador um, to the United Kingdom. This is our permanent representative in the United Nations. Um, and it was, and they all did fantastic uh, jobs. Um, and during my tenure as foreign minister, at one point maybe we had six or or seven um, lady ambassadors out of sixty. Not what we wanted, um, but um, don't forget that this is a process in the foreign ministry in the foreign service. Absolutely. Uh, but now, uh, if you look at um, if you look at the spectrum of our foreign service um, uh, offices uh, in different uh, levels, uh, you'll see that many more. Um, uh, women are, are, are there. And in time, perhaps in five to 10 years time, you're going to have almost an equal number of, uh, of ambassadors, both female and, um, and, 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 and male. So it's a culture that, that takes time. It's a process uh, that has to play out its course because in the foreign service, as you know, you either enter at the bottom or at the top. Uh, you're either you know, an attache um, right at the bottom of the, uh, of the ladder, or you come in as an ambassador as a political appointee, but for an attaché to work themselves out, he or she uh, work themselves up to up the ladder, it's a process of you know 15 to 20 years to become an ambassador. But now yes. we're seeing that taking root and and, and happening. So. And I mean, you said this before as well uh, that we and need by a. The way, the, by the way, to this day, um, our ambassador um, in in Washington is, yes. is a lady. Dina, and, no, uh, Dina Kawat. Yes. and our yes. prime representative in New York is a lady. Uh, and our ambassador to um, the European Union in Brussels is a lady Well, I want to take this opportunity also to uh, send a big hello and a shout out to your female ambassadors and to Jordanian women in general who have, you know, really been in the, at the forefront of this, of this attempt at cultural change. As you said, we need, it's a cultural process. It's a, it's a, it's a change that we need to, uh, you know, slowly start to um, initiate, but also try to speed up as, as, as much as we can. And you've said this before, you know, uh, we have to change the landscape and the discourse uh, for participation uh, to take place. So uh, I feel like from the way you're speaking, we're, you're on the right track. And, and maybe... Well, I hope so. I, I hope so. But again, I want to stress that we men sometimes um, um, fall into the trap of uh, approaching this in a patronizing way uh, or as if we are performing an act of charity or now this is <laughs> this is very wrong uh, if we're talking about inclusion and um, and gender parity we have to accept that this is a right uh, not not something that is given by us um, men uh, it is a right we, we, women are half the society if not sometimes more um, I mean, look at uh, look at um, uh, Jordan today. I mean, you have um, more women than men in our population, uh, quite honestly. Um, and and uh, if you look at, uh, and, and by the way, I, I mentioned a few. I mentioned the airline, I mentioned the army, and I mentioned the ministers and the ambassadors. But in all walks of life here in Jordan, bankers, um, economists, um, think tank heads, um, uh, journalists, um, they're doing an extremely good job, and it's not my place uh, to uh, to pass judgment on how they're doing. You know, just like it's not my place to pass judgment on men uh, performing the same uh, jobs and, and, and duties. So let's accept that this is a right. Again, not an act of charity, uh, not not something that we are you know generously giving to to women. It is their right. 
this is music to my ears. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Um, peacekeeping operations. I know that uh, Jordan has been long involved as a, a troop contributing country uh, to certain peacekeeping operations, but we still see that uh, you know, uh, female peacekeepers across the world, their numbers are, are not as high as we would like them to be. Uh, can you just give me a little bit, uh, some insight of how you think we can increase the number of female peacekeepers in peacekeeping operations across the world? Well, you're talking to the, to, to the wrong um, address here because we are actually one of the largest contributors to peacekeeping operations in the world, both police and, yes. uh, and army. Police, I think we're number one uh, at one point. We are number, you know. In female? In female? Uh, no, no, no. Ah, in, in, okay. in, in, in contributions uh, to, to peacekeeping in general. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I said, relative um, as a ratio to the population, yes. I think the, one of the largest contributors, uh, second or third when it comes to army and, and first at one point when it came to, uh, to police. And we had female peacekeepers in both. Um, I'll give you um, a, a, an example. I think, by the way, I agree with you. I think there should be more inclusion of women in peacekeeping operations around the world. But I'll give you a very nice um, and, and quite uh, telling example. Um, when we had our, um, um, our peacekeepers in Afghanistan, for example, um, or we have, first of all, we have a, a field hospital in Mazari Sharif, uh, but we also sent um, uh, imams from, uh, from the armed forces, army imams, uh, to try and, 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 you know, in the atmosphere that, that we knew then of uh, radicalization and perhaps misperceptions of the core message of Islam. And, and so we had imams, but the imams, the male imam, um, could not um, enter certain certain areas where the predominant population are women. Um, and so we had to send women um, scholars in the army from our armed forces uh, to go and talk to these uh, to these ladies and tell them, look, you know, this is this is what Islam is all about. This is the core message of Islam, of openness, of uh, moderation, of uh, of peace, of love, of acceptance. Um, and they played a very important role in some of the towns and villages of, uh, of Afghanistan. So we are very proud of our peacekeeping, um, uh, of our contribution to peacekeeping around the world. Uh, they've done a fantastic job in all the um, posts uh, that, uh, that they went to in Africa, in Haiti, um, in, um, in the Far East. Uh, so, um, and we'll continue with that. So what advice do you give men? What advice do you give men, specifically those who are in politics and diplomacy, about creating real partnerships with women uh, to have equal and just governance structures and an inclusive foreign policy? Um, the, the only advice that I would give men is stop thinking about it. Um, um, it it's not something that you have, you have to give um, constant thought to. This is something that you have to accept as a given, as something that you have to accept as a right, again. If you if you reach that conclusion and start operating by that uh, by that code, then you'll stop thinking about it um, and, and 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 stop worrying about whether you're doing it right or doing it wrong. Just accept the the, the principle, and you'll be doing it right. That's fantastic advice, Your Excellency uh, Nasser Jude. Thank you for being with us as a guest on the Diplomat Podcast. It's it's a real pleasure, um, Carmen. Thank you, and thank um, thanks to, to to your team, your professional team. I think this is a great um, uh, initiative. And I will be extremely privileged to be a part of it, involved with it, um, um, somehow from afar, from a close distance, at your disposal all the time. Thank you. And, and please continue being a staunch, staunch supporter of gender equality in our region. Absolutely. Beyond any doubt. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good luck. Thank you.
This podcast is available across audio platforms listed in the episode's details box. You can also find the video edition on the Diplomat Podcast YouTube channel. I'm Carmike McGee, and I'm the host of the Diplomat Podcast.